Was anyone else affected by daylight savings this week? It just seemed a little more difficult than usual for me this this year. I don't know. It was just kind of a, a struggle this week, uh, getting back on on just the the normal sleep routine. Um, I think this week also, you know, personally. I, it just so happened that I had quite a few uh, late nights in a row and quite a few early mornings uh, in a row. So with all that added up, um, you know, I didn't get to sleep quite as much as I usually like to. It certainly gave me a lot more appreciation for uh, parents who, uh, with young kids who never sleep. Uh, so uh, shout out to all of you who, uh, who forgot what it's like to have a good night's sleep. But it definitely, um, I started to notice as I was reflecting on this in prayer, just how it was affecting me um, throughout my week. You know, externally, my life was, was good this week. There was nothing particularly different, but, uh, except for what I've said so far. But internally, as I, as I reflect, I noticed that prayer was a lot more difficult for me this week. Just wasn't as exciting. I was, um, I was struggling to do it. Um, it was more difficult to really pay attention and to really, uh, uh, give the Lord my all. I noticed that, um, I was just not at my best. Like I was just kind of, there's just a heaviness this week, just a, just a heaviness within me, um, that, uh, didn't really have a whole lot of explanation to it. Um, Temptation was just more than usual this week, um, and so I just felt I just I just I just sensed the enemy in my week. He was just trying to sabotage uh, just my life this week. I just felt it, and I don't know if anyone else um, experienced that this week or not. But very often in our lives, well, some sometimes natural desolations can lead to spiritual desolation. So for me, it was just, you know, less sleep this week, which is not the end of the world. I mean, it happens. But, but sometimes that can lead, you know, that was a natural desolation. Um, but for me this week, it led to a spiritual desolation as well. My experience of God was just not as um, positive and easy and flowing, and um, instead it was heavy. So what I guess what I'm trying to say is that this week I faced my limitations. I got face to face with my human limits, and I was reminded of my human limitations this week, which is really a good thing. What a blessing. That's so important for us to experience. But when we experience our limitations, very often... What we tend to do is that we turn in on ourselves. We start to turn inward, and a couple things may happen. Maybe we'll, um, maybe we'll kind of indulge in self-pity, you know, just kind of be real sad about our situation in life. Maybe we'll indulge in comforts to try to medicate our pain or our, um, our sadness, um, Maybe we'll get really frustrated and we'll just be 
on edge and always losing our temper, impatient. Maybe we'll be so driven by ambition to, um, to get more power or more control of others in our lives. Maybe we're starving for affirmation and we're incredibly insecure and we're always thinking that everybody's against us. Maybe we get bitter or maybe we get cynical. All kinds of things can happen to us when we start to turn in on ourselves. And very often that's what we do whenever we come face to face with our limitations. But instead what we want to do is not turn in, but to turn out. To turn outward, most especially toward God, but in addition toward others. It's the key to finding peace freedom, happiness, all the things that we're looking for. Well, today in the gospel, we hear the great story of Moses. And you see, Moses faced so many challenges in his life. The Lord was just constantly over and over again, pushing Moses to the limits. Moses very often became extremely aware of his own human weakness, of his own limitations. But God forbid if Moses would have turned in on himself. Praise the Lord that instead Moses repeatedly turned towards God as he strove to follow God's will. But one thing that helped him do that was the fact that God revealed himself to Moses. He revealed his total identity to Moses. And we see that in today's first reading it's a story of Moses coming up to, to this burning bush. And many of us are familiar with this story where we come to the, bur- the burning bush. It's, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. Very mysterious. And an angel of the Lord speaks to Moses and invites Moses. That's a gentle word. Commands Moses to go to Egypt and to free God's people. Of course, Moses doesn't want to. We know how that goes. Um, Moses tries to finagle his way out of it. He feels extremely ill-equipped and um, unqualified. And uh, nonetheless, converses with the Lord. And in that conversation, God reveals his eternal name to Moses. He reveals himself in a way that he has never revealed himself before. When Moses asks him his name, God says, I am who am. This moment where God reveals himself becomes so sacred that no other Jew utters that name in its original Hebrew ever again. I am who am. What does that mean? You see, this has always confused me as a kid because that's not typically how we structure sentences. That's not typically how the English language works. How do we make sense of that? What is that act? How is that actually revealing God? I am who I am. What's going on here? You see, my name is Kyle. And if you were to you could talk about Kyle in the third person. You could say, Kyle is a priest. Kyle, um, you know, is at St. Leo. 
And by saying that in the third person, you're, you're qualifying something about me. Kyle is a priest. Okay, so therefore, I'm not a not priest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that is. Let's get more specific. We could say Carl is male. Therefore, Carl is not female. We could say Emily is a human. Therefore, Emily is not a dog or not a cat. We could say that everyone's nervous. Who am I going to call on next? (laughs) We could say Eric is Christian and therefore not an atheist. You see what I'm getting at? When we qualify something about someone, we're also qualifying what they're not. We're saying what they are and what they're not. We're adding a limitation to them. We say that, um, well, those are enough examples. Let me not go too far on that. Okay, so then what we have instead is that God reveals himself without limits. God says, I am, and then he stops. He doesn't say anything about himself. He just says, I am. God is... And that's enough to be said. God is. God is the one who is. In other words, God is existence itself. God holds all of existence within himself. God is without limits. He's infinite. And although it's true that we can say that God is loving, God is powerful, God is all-knowing, we can talk about God in the third person. When he revealed himself to Moses, he spoke from the first person. And his name is so sacred and so holy because it's impossible to say it without speaking in the first person. And the fact of the matter is, God is God and we are not. And we cannot speak from the first person to say God's name, which is I am. Because if I say I am, I'm suddenly talking about myself. You see how that works? And therefore, it's extremely holy to say God's name in its original Hebrew form. Hence, it was recorded in Scripture, but no one ever said it. When they came to YHWH, they said Adonai instead, meaning the Lord because it was so reverent, because it was God's name and only he could say it, which is why it was such a huge deal in John's gospel, chapter eight, whenever Jesus was talking to a few other believing Jews and he was telling them about, you know, if you listen to uh, his word that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they kind of get in this long conversation and they start asking Jesus about Abraham and then Jesus drops the microphone. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus spoke the divine name for the first time in 1,500 years since God spoke it to Moses. And since then, other people have tried to say it, sometimes without realizing what they're irreverently doing. But God himself can say this name. 
And Jesus revealed himself as God when he spoke it from the first person. This name summarizes the fact that God is in all things. If God is existence itself, if God is the one who is, if the verb to be basically summarizes God, he can be found everywhere. But it's important for me to make an important distinction because uh, what I, what you might have just heard me say um, is that God is everything, and that's not true. So we need to make an important distinction because I don't want you going home saying, Father White said this. We've got to be very clear here. We're talking about God, so it's hard. I'm not talking about pantheism. Okay, you may have, you may have heard of the word pantheism. Pantheism is the belief that God is everything. So I would say it. God is you, and God is me, and God is this chair, and God is this pew, and God is this building. And um, some people will ascribe to this philosophy, and it's a very dangerous philosophy because it's not true, but it's almost true, which is why it's so subtly, it's a, such an important subtle distinction. Instead of pantheism, in Greek, pan meaning all, um, it's panentheism. If you can't remember that, just don't worry about it. But the point is, point is, God is not all things. God is in all things. So God is not this chair, but God is in this chair insofar as this chair exists and God is existence. You're not God, but God is in you because you were created by him. And you're also a human being with dignity and you were made in his image and likeness. So there's that too. But everything, this building, everything that exists, God can be found in it because it wouldn't exist without him. Nothing would exist without God because to exist is to be part of God, to be part of his existence, to be part of his creation. When God says, I am who am, he is saying, I am the one who is. He, God is the one who is. And everything else that is, is part of God. I know this seems so abstract, and in, and in very many ways, it's just... That's just a reality. This is hard to grasp. It's beyond our understanding because God is infinite and we are finite. God is big and we are so small. But at the heart of this conversation today is the fact that God is God and we are not. But the good news about that is that God can be found everywhere. So I want you to reflect for a moment on this past week. It might have been a a challenging week like it was for me. Maybe it was a great week. Awesome. But just this past week, let's keep it simple. Did you see God? Did you find him? If we're going to be true about saying that God can be found everywhere, we're saying that there are seven 24-hour periods. Whatever seven times 24 is, I think it's 168, but don't quote me. It might be 158, so I don't know. But what is it? Anybody know? Anyway, there is so many hours in a week that we can find God in everything, in every circumstance, in all people, in all creation, in all living animals, 
in all inanimate objects, in all circumstances in our lives, when we're stressed and when we're happy, all the time we can discover God. But how often do we forget to find Him? Far too often we forget to search. And even in my own life, especially if it's a difficult week, I might find myself having gone quite a few hours before even giving God a thought. What a tragedy. Because God can be found everywhere, even in the most terrible and difficult of circumstances. God can be found. But it takes a lot of humility to do that. It takes an acknowledgement that the center of the universe is not ourselves, that life doesn't revolve around our own needs. It takes a lot of humility to actually acknowledge that God is the center of the universe and that we trust in him instead of our own power and skill. But humility and trust is the way to freedom. Humility and trust is actually what we're all greatly desiring. Because whenever we learn the art of humility and trust, we die to ourselves and we rise with Christ. We die to this ego, which is so dangerous, which destroys not only our own life, but everyone else around us. And instead, we rise with Christ. We learn the art of love. We discover what peace and joy really are all about. At the heart of freedom is knowing that God is God and we are not. And with great reverence, we recognize that the same God who revealed his name to Moses and the same God who became man as Jesus Christ is here today with us in the Eucharist. And it's the only thing on this earth now that God is not just in, but rather God is. God is the Eucharist. And he's here with us today. And as we prostrate our lives, for better or for worse, the good, bad, and the ugly, right here in this moment before him, we also have the great honor and privilege of receiving his love, receiving him in the Eucharist to come alive. Today we pray for humility, and it's so important that we, every single day, take some time to reflect and articulate where we found God. Sometimes there are big moments in our lives where we find him, it might be a, you know, a car wreck where you, you end up not getting hurt and you just know God's there. Maybe uh, someone, maybe new birth, the, the gift of new life, you, it's just obvious God is real. But, but even in the small things, even in this past week, in that conversation that you had with a coworker, in the person who cut you off in traffic, in the poor person who approached you and asked you for, mer- for money, in, in the, the moment where you're just eating dinner with your family around the table, or in that moment of silence right before bed where you just considered your own life and God's love for you. At every single moment, God can be found. And it's so important that we pause and recognize where he is. And so today we pray for that humility, that reminder that God is God and we are not. Amen. Amen. Amen.